Hey everybody, it's Nolan North, you know, Nathan Drake from Uncharted, and you're listening to the Geek Apocalypse Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest edition of the Geek Apocalypse Podcast with yours truly, Mr. Stephen Hesse. Thank you so much for checking out the podcast and this are the bunch of new episodes that I promised I'd put up um, because I had the birthday special, which is a couple of weeks ago, so I'm a couple of episodes behind. So, these episodes, uh, as well as the solo one, which I'll get to, uh, I'm super excited to give you guys because they're really, really awesome and really, really fun. And I'm uh, this particular one with Alex Hall from Steam Forge Games. I've been holding on to for a while, um, so trying to sort of catch up with the episodes that I have in the pipeline. And uh, so Alex Hall is the designer for the Dark Souls 3 board game which Steam Forge Games are making and they did a Kickstarter which made a million bazillion pound. So um, as someone who is a huge Dark Souls, Dark Souls video game series fan, I obviously was excited and I followed the Kickstarter carefully so I emailed Steam Forge and said I would like to talk to somebody and they got back and Alex Hall uh, was available who is the main designer, uh, and so we basically talk about his career, um, his design, how we ended up getting involved in the pro- in the in the um, sort of graphic design slash board game industry in the first place, um, how Steam Forged end up getting Dark Souls three board game and just the Kickstarter, which you can obviously have a look at if you type in Dark Souls three on Kickstarter or click on the links or copy and paste the link on iTunes, uh, you'll find the Kickstarter page. Just type in Dark Souls three Kickstarter. It'll come up because, like I say, it made a gazillion billion. Uh, one billion. Do- I want to do the whole um, Doctor Evil thing now, but um, yeah, so one billion dollars. So anyway, so it's it was super fun. He was really nice. Um, had a lot of tattoos, which was cool, similar to me. And so we obviously talked about a variety of different things. Obviously, video games come up, being that it's based on some video games, and it's super super fun. Uh, unfortunately, like you say, is in the because uh, of the uh, Kickstarter has ended. You won't be able to get the game until around about April next year, he said, because they're trying to sort out the Kickstarter. All the late bird specials had gone at that point, but obviously keep posted for... I will definitely be buying the game when it comes out. So it'll be available probably for retailers around about that time. So obviously go to Steamforge Games. They also make some other games that we never got a chance to talk about. Um, so obviously go on Steamforge's website, Steamforged website, I should say, um, and you can find out all the games that they do. But huge thank you to Alex and Steamforge and Namco and Dark Souls for being awesome. And I hope you guys enjoy it. In terms of upcoming episodes, David Kingsbury, who is the personal trainer of Hugh Jackman, uh, has been involved in a number of different things. Also did Mike, also trained Michael Fassbender for the Assassin's Creed uh, video uh, film that's coming up soon. So that's the next one on the list that's going to be released at the same time as this. Uh, I also have one, um, a couple of more in the pipeline. I'm going to do a solo one. Uh, I've got Gunnar Roxon's returning, as well as Ken about Broken Shields, which is a really good role-playing series. Uh, I've got some hosted episodes coming up, as well as Richard Kirby, who is on Mentally Sound. So if you like what you hear, please do subscribe to us on iTunes and at Geek underscore Apocalypse on Twitter. But this is Alex Hall. Enjoy! Dr. Street. Thank you. 
Okay, cool. Uh, I'll do an if- like uh, the obvious joke is, which only me and Alex usually hear, is I'll do an official introduction just to get the ball rolling and then not use it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, hi, Alex. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. That's okay. How are you? I'm all right, man. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm very awesome. good. Apart from the adorable Windows update that decided <laughs> to kick in five minutes before I was coming on for the podcast <laughs> and took... 45 minutes to finish it yeah that was ideal oh i'm glad you brought i'm glad uh, alex brought that up because uh we were just kind of joking about that um through emails because i told them the quick story which i'm sure i don't remember what episode it was but just the quick thing of i said to alex don't worry about it and um, because there was a situation where i was doing a live podcast on twitch which fans of this will know and Windows Update started, and I was an hour and a half late to a live podcast with a bunch of people going, where are you? And also, I think my phone wasn't working at the time, so I had no way of letting people know. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Even better so, than mine. Yep. So um, you, you, I was surprisingly, like, you know, uh, understanding to Alex, where he was just, like, emailing, going, I'm really, really sorry, but it's well, The best part was, is, like, I finished, like, I came home from work early to make sure that it wasn't office noise going on in the background. I was like, oh, it's perfect. I've left in time, didn't get stuck in traffic, managed to park up all right, got in in time, everything's set up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know, because it happens at the worst time, doesn't it? It always happens at the worst time. And the fact is, you can't stop it. That's what's so irritating about it, is once like, it you goes... You just sit there staring yeah. at this bar. It's just like... <laughs> I would say this bar that's creeping up, uh, it wasn't, it just wasn't moving. (laughs) And also the fact that, like, it's the only time where you feel like you can't occupy yourself because you're just watching the percentage slowly go up and, like, going, please go up, please go up, especially if it's something you desperately need to do, yeah, so. And there's no pattern to it, so you can't, like, well, it's given me an estimated time, so I'll just go and do something else for that long, because all of a sudden it goes from 15% to 55%, and you're like, oh, it's nearly done then if it's going like that, and then it doesn't move for another half an hour. Yeah, you made me really, really giggle because uh, Alex said to me in the email, <laughs> which made me giggle. He went, uh, he put in brackets. It says it's gonna be a while. It wasn't wrong. <laughs> yeah, like it actually said on the update, this will take a while. I was like, what? as if they even know. Like they're bothered to put that in the update that it's telling you this is gonna take well, about I guess, three years. Do you not think it's a bit like? Um, are you, a, are you a, again this typical typical me that I'm going off tangent because I'm enjoying myself? But um, are you a because obviously we had to talk about Dark Souls, because uh, obviously Alex is from Steamforge Games, you should uh, mention that for people, but it'll be an introduction and everything. Because um, obviously Dark Souls is a video game uh, more predominantly. Like, Are you a video game uh, fan at all? I am indeed. Yep. Because yeah. um, do, do you ever use Steam? Because I'm always thinking of like, the the reason I'm bringing this up in in, in comparison to what we're talking about is, it's a bit like the Steam downloads that say, you get, you're like, this game will take four hours to download and it takes like, you know, half a day. <laughs> so it's going to take four hours and then yeah. obviously it has to go through and make sure that if you've got a slow hard drive, that has to catch <laughs> up afterwards and it's like, yep, yeah, okay, this is just going to take a day. It doesn't matter how fast the internet is. This is just going to take a day, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, yeah. And yeah, because it doesn't matter how also yeah that's a really good point it doesn't matter how long how fast your internet is it's how like good the connection is between you and the steam server or whatever it downloads from so it's 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 never consistent so yeah and i've got the best broadband and it it's irrelevant when it comes to i don't have the best broadband (laughs) (laughs) well i'm actually definitely um people who know who because obviously we're doing this on skype because uh where actually you uh recording this from Stockport. Oh, right. Sunny, question mark, <laughs> Stockport. <laughs> I can't know for certain because he's in a very darkened room right now. But, uh, yep. uh, 
Uh, but um, but yeah, so uh, I just wanted to say that for the benefit of like, because we have American people listening and stuff like that. So yeah, because yeah, so we're we're on um, we're on Skype, and I was just about to say you said about a bad connection, but actually like Skype's been like very nicely behaved at the minute. Surprisingly well behaved, because yeah. this is after the lovely thing with Windows. I assume this was also going to go horribly <laughs> wrong. But. Well, I've yeah. Said it now. Well, no. yeah. Well, we'll probably reach a point because when you do anything longer than like about thirty minutes on Skype, is usually you end up one of us sounds robotic and we have to like restart it. So, um, yep, sounds about right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll 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 monitor that. But anyway, um, so yeah, so obviously, like I was talk- like we like we touched on, um, uh, to provide the context, which Alex Alex knows this is. Um, we, we've been partners for like UK Games Expo, and people know that I'm a huge board game fan. Uh, I often, if I if I'm tweeting about anything, it's about me playing a board game I really like. And I'd heard, obviously, like most people have, because I was just actually reading the Kickstarter while I was waiting for Alex to get online about Dark Souls Three, the board game which Steamforge Games were making, and uh, obviously kept up with the Kickstarter and various other things. So I asked them to come on, and so how Alex got involved was. Um, he's part of the design team who's working on uh, Dark Souls. Um, so I guess um, in a nutshell, I guess to kind of get the ball rolling in that sense is like, when did you first like start get start getting involved in that project? So we first showed off the game at Salute, if I remember the timeline right. So we went to Salute and we took the initial demo, which was basically a demo version of the pitch that Matt and Rich, two directors of Steamforge, had come up with and they had then gone to, to Bandai Namco with. They liked the pitch and then we got the go-ahead with the game. Uh, and I started off, I'm involved in um, one of the other products that Steamforge make called Guild Ball. Yes. Uh, I played that an awful lot. Yep. I got better than I should have done at it. <laughs> okay. um, and then came on board as um, one of what's called the Lawyers Guild, which are essentially the rules lawyers mm-hmm. for the game. Yep. So any discrepancies that come up in rules, yeah. we sort those out. Then I got asked to be a pundit and got asked to demo Dark Souls at Salute. Yep. So me and a few other guys went down to their head office, yep. got showed the demo and asked if we wanted to demo it. Okay. We all did. Went to Salute. <laughs> okay. Then after Salute, it launched on Kickstarter. Yep. I was then working on the like the customer support team throughout the month of the Kickstarter because we had pretty much 24-hour coverage on there to answer questions and stuff yep. that was going on and basically keep up on all the updates that were coming out because the, the the stretch goals were getting reached at a ridiculous rate. <laughs> um, I guess we'll get into. Yeah. And yeah. then um, when that closed. Um, we also demoed it at the the UK Games Expo. Yep. Uh, after that, I got a phone call from Rich Loxham asking if I fancied a trial at being on the design team for it. So we then went away for a, w- a week to a cottage in the middle of nowhere in England, and that was <laughs> myself, a chap called Bryce Johnston, mm-hmm. uh, Jamie Perkins. DC, David Carl, yep. um, Matt Hart and Rich Bloxham. We yep. all went away for a week. Nice. Basically, this was just after the Kickstarter finished and hashed out the rest of the core rules for the game. Yep. Played a lot of playtest games, sort of went through, wrote down four ways a rule could work, mm-hmm. played it out, saw which was the best, picked the best, and then started honing that in. Uh, and then I got offered the job at the end of that week. Brilliant. And then have basically been working it through up to now. Awesome. 
Like, because there's several questions that come to mind when you say that. Obviously, we'll talk about like, because as as uh, Alex just said about the, the the in particular the stretch goals, just the the Kickstarter in general is insane when you read the numbers. But we'll get to that later. Sure. But um, I just in terms of you, because I'm always interested to kind of talk about sort of the I guess the behind the scenes stuff without not we not not necessarily being controversial, but um, yeah. I'm just interested. Is that were you because you said you you like you played as Guild Wars, isn't it the first the first game? Yeah. Um. So you played that, but like in terms of before then and sort of your career before that, was your idea to get into the board game industry or or design industry, or did it? How did it happen? Um. So before I was involved with anything like this, I actually worked in a school. I was oh, a right. teaching assistant, uh, looking nice. to potentially become a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it is just before you continue i just want a quick segue to say quick like um indent to say it's so funny how every time i talk to board game designers because we've had several on it's never like the way everyone expects it to be oh yeah i've always wanted to do it, it always seems like an, a real odd path anyway sorry go on i just found that interesting not, not how it works at all <laughs> no of course, i know yeah. that locks as one of our directors used to be a teacher as well yeah like, there's a few of us that used to work in schools oh yeah because i guess which people listening to this will completely understand is that um, uh, you have to be like you have to have the passion to be in the board game industry, especially if you're um, an independent maker of, of stuff, because it might not necessarily you know unless you like this game that takes off and it's a game that everyone loves and adores, is that you're you're going to just make games that might make you break even or make a little bit of money. You're not going to you know be be rolling in the cash doing this, so it's got to be a passion project. So. And it also helps if you worked in a school because you're used to dealing with children. Yeah, majority exactly. Of board games yeah. Are, right? Good point. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, you're speaking to someone who worked uh, four years as a youth worker, so I totally, totally understand that. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah, it makes sense. So, um, so did, were you like, did you grow up like, um, because I'm get, I don't know how uh, roughly what age you are, but did you grow up um with your family like most people? I guess sort of like in my generation, the like monopolies and stuff. Growing up, were you a board game person? Not so much. When I did my route through it was essentially the usual. When I was like 12, I saw Warhammer and thought the models were cool and never really actually collected an army. I just had a collection of models that looked cool and never... I don't think I ever actually played an entire game of it. (laughs) I didn't either. That's a good point. That's good. And then grew out of that when I'd sort of of 16, 17. (laughs) Um, And then... Basically, had like a did I played a few D and D campaigns with some friends yeah. where I used to live in Northampton, mm-hmm. um, and a few bits like that, but not as like super into it as I had been. Yeah. Then I relocated down to Hastings to go and live with uh, moving with my girlfriend. Great. Okay. Uh, I got the job in the school and kept driving past a wargaming club <laughs> when I was driving to work. Mm-hmm. I'd relocated down there and didn't know anyone other than her. Yeah. So just sort of went in, and I was like, I need to meet some people. So I went into the gaming club, yeah. and then started off playing War Machine for a few months, and then everybody was super into Guild Ball. Yeah. So I picked up Guild Ball and just got entirely addicted to it. Um, and then just sort of it all went from there. Everything sort of wild, wildly spiraled. I mean, I got, I was a friend with um, a chap who does a primarily Guild Ball podcast, and we used to talk a lot and play a lot. He's generally regarded as the best player around at least yeah. over here in england yeah yeah um 
and we just used to chat. He got asked to join the Lawyers Guild. They needed some more people to help with the Lawyers Guild stuff. He mm-hmm. recommended me. Then I got asked to be a pundit. And then it was just kind of like it kept gradually stepping up until yeah. I eventually am the ultimate corporate shill who is a pundit, lawyer, designer. Like I do I do everything to do with Steamforge. Like my entire life revolves around the company. Yeah. It's just so weird how it went from just playing one of their games <laughs> to, to where it is now, where yeah. I'm making one of their games. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Which is pretty great. I mean, yeah, I mean, and it's funny, that's, that's, that's one of the reasons why I find it so fascinating asking people like yourself how it happens, because, like I say, if no, if no one asks that question, a lot of people just think, oh, you just like walked in and add, add a thing you did in a CV and, 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 and Bob's your uncle, you've got a, you've got a job that you really wanted or you, or you like doing. And never, I, I, the reason I enjoy asking it is it's never that way, it never happens that way. <laughs> it's, I mean, if, if I was to, in one word, if someone said, how did you get your job? And yeah. I'd sum it up in one word, that one word would be luck. Yeah, I was just about to say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should have like, <laughs> should have done that on Twitter. What is the one word Alex is going to say? <laughs> Look. <laughs> Look, and that is entirely what it yeah. is, because it sure as hell isn't because I'm good at Guild Ball, because that is entirely based on luck as well. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Um, well, I was just, because that, that was sort of the, the next, of, I was, I was going to ask you the obvious question after that, but you've kind of already answered it, and just, is it the, like, that story a good example of, like, sort of just being in the right place at the right time, would you say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was... I mean, as with anything, you only get out of it what you put into it. I yeah. mean, I put in a decent amount of my own time voluntarily yeah. with all of the stuff I was doing to help the company out as they were going forward. Yeah. And if you don't make a good job of it and don't show that you're passionate about it, then you're not even going to get considered. Exactly, you know, yeah. You don't, you don't just get these opportunities by being in the right place at the right time. You've got to make the most of the opportunities point, you get yeah. presented with. Good point, yeah. Um, because, I mean, I always say to people... Um, cause it's a fine balance between like giving your time up like forever. Cause some people do that without going, I'd like to be paid eventually, but cause I think it, people deserve that. But yeah, um, I always give the example of when I first started out doing like sort of media stuff, I did whatever I could get in terms of, you know, learning the trade and learning to, yep. to do it. Um, and I think some people need to be sort of humble to do that. Cause like I was talking about this the other day and I don't know whether you agree with this is that. Um, the, my sort of concern is that we're, we're the sort of the generation below me and further down is like kind of got this like entitlement aspect to themselves where they don't really sort of feel the, the the idea of like you say when you justified what you said about you know trying and showing that you committed to something like it it seems odd to me when I look at certain internet posts and you're just like we want this but we want it for no uh, money or <laughs> it's all crazy I mean ultimately a lot of it boils down to how much sway you can get from the internet these days yeah I mean you you look at how much popularity you can have by having like a really successful YouTube channel, mm-hmm. and how much influence you can have with that. Yes. And then, I mean, I'd, I've never made YouTube content. I don't know how hard it is, and I'm yeah. not going to turn around and go, that must be the easiest job in the world. I'm aware, no. as with any job, it comes with a ridiculous amount of stress. Yes. But as a younger person, it's quite easy to look at that and just go, all they do is make videos and they're millionaires. This yeah, is wild. Exactly, yeah. Life must be this easy. Yeah, and having met the odd famous YouTuber... 
um and they and just whenever you know this is why i think you know this is this is one of the reasons i think sort of interviewers like podcasts or hosts or something asking that question just to reiterate to people that as you said quite rightly it's a, it's the commitment aspect it's the you know even somebody like i don't know like say hannah hart or, or grace helwig or something who do blogs every day on youtube they may be only four or five minutes long but it might take them five or six hours a day to put it together and but, it's the you know, pressure yeah it's like I when I did the the interview that I did for Game uh, Insomnia. Yes, that's the first time I've been in front of the camera. Yeah, it just yeah. got thrown at me, and I'm just like, this is like I'm representing not only me but the company. I feel yeah. like a complete idiot of myself here. <laughs> And if I do, like, that might be it. That's yeah. like, Alex, you're never allowed in front of a camera ever again. You're never allowed to do any media stuff or anything you do because you're an idiot. But well, when you have... I thought you handled um, it pretty well, though. Well, <laughs> when you have a loyal fan base, which yeah. I definitely don't, yeah. but when you do have that loyal fan base, that could... You say one thing wrong, you do one thing wrong, and that just comes crashing down, and that yeah, is yeah. your entire livelihood just vanished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that there was a, there, I, I'm trying to remember the the the, the get off this at some point, but there, there was just a a Twitcher who did that where he said something wrong on a something like controversial on his stream and lost like half his audience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's you. just you have to be so careful. Like when you don't have that sort of popularity, so whatever, literally whatever you want. Yeah. And once you've got a group of loyal followers, they will just disappear as soon as they say something. You say something that yeah, they yeah. disagree with. But anyway, like, I mean, the to, the one benefit is, because we were talking about, just to go back to sort of board games, is that we were talking about the, if you, I mentioned the passion aspect of it, which is what we're, we're sort of talking about here. And, the you know, we've had a, a, a fair amount of, I would say, independent, you know, companies, which to, to an extent, Steam 4J is, I guess this is going to yeah. ramp it up. This is going to ramp it up somewhat in terms of because i should mention just in case i forget to say this is the um because i've got the kickstarter up if people are interested <laughs> but i encourage you to look at it because it's insane but i watched it as it grew so basically it asked for i'm actually trying to remember what the price was originally it's fifty thousand yeah fifty thousand and it went for three million seven hundred seventy one thousand four hundred seventy four pound so um a little bit more than <laughs> just like just like a couple of percent more yeah, right? yeah. so what are you going to do with that extra pocket money yeah <laughs> um i don't know it's not for you to ask not for you to answer but um but yeah i guess can you on the basis of that just because it's fun to ask because i have met i have interviewed some kickstarters that have went a bit crazy not to that extent yeah. but um i guess just in a generalistic sense like how because obviously you, know, you said you were around since it's since the kickstarter started it's just like how what was the reaction it's then silly to ask but it, you know it's it's funny because um matt um, one of the directors, Matt Hart, did a podcast recently, and I think he summed it up pretty perfectly mm-hmm. when he said that it was just going, you're watching this number go up and up and up and up and up, and you're just like, it hits a point where it goes from being crazy to you just like, it doesn't, you, your brain doesn't, you know, it's just not yeah, yeah. relevant it's anymore. It's almost not you're real. Just like, yeah. this is such a ridiculous amount. Yeah. It, it does, it's kind of hit critical mass where it keeps going up, and I'm already too astounded at the amount it was that I can't. <laughs> compute the amount that it is now yeah i can imagine so is it fair to say i mean it sounds it sounds like an obvious question but i guess is it fair to say the i mean like what was their expectation going into it because 
you know, anyone who's a video game fan is going to know that Dark Souls is a hugely popular game and all this kind of thing. But, you know, it is, you know, I guess if I'm going to be, you know, devil's advocate or whatever, is that, you know, it's a board game. It's not necessarily the video game. But then, it, so you could, you know, there are maybe some sort of arguments you can make to say, oh, maybe it might not work for this reason, this reason, or this reason. But I, I guess, like, surely they couldn't have expected it to go this well. <laughs> I mean, you try and gauge as much as you can the yeah, crossover audience and the yeah. strength of an IP, right? Yeah. So, an IP like Dark Souls, you'd think there'd be at least some crossover into people that are likely to play that style of game. Yes. And those that would enjoy the board game style approach to things. Exactly, yeah. The biggest thing that you need to hit from a like a design aspect turning a video game into a board game is what skill set do you use in that video game yeah to make it so that that is what you're interested in yes and what of that of that skill set can be transferred over to a board game mm-hmm. and what can't yeah so for example without going into overly complex mechanics that is just going to be too complicated to even yeah. interest those that don't do board games yeah you can't get the twitch reactions Yes. We, you can't carry that across. You know, of course, we, yeah. we have no way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Planning, you know, the whole learning aspect where you go into a room, okay, the dude that was on the left absolutely nailed me with his axe. <laughs> Next time I go in that room, I know there's going to be a dude on the left who's going to try and nail yes. me with an axe. Can we get that in? Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a way we can get that in. Note that one down. Yes. We can put that in. And you go through, and you go through the hooks, and you try and find the hooks you can and the hooks you can't. Yep. Then you go through designing and you get the core of your game based on the hooks that you know that you can use. Mm-hmm. Once you've got those in, you may revisit and go, well, this actually works quite well off this, so maybe we can now make this thing that we didn't think worked yes. work. Uh, and that okay. is that is how you go through. Mm-hmm. So the crossover audience definitely helps with that once you're actually doing a decent translation of the video game just into a board game where you're just changing yeah. like the media that it, medium that's presented in yeah. but it's a similar thing uh-huh. and then you've kind of got your three subsections which are people that play board games mm-hmm. people that play dark souls yep people that do both yes which i'm definitely that and <laughs> i guess the fourth yeah. people that do none yes and I guess that's how you get your kind of the number you anticipate. I don't know this side of it, and this isn't me sort of shimmying because I don't want to give anything away. No, no, I get that. I yeah. don't know anything in terms of like the actual. I know that we had put down the fifty thousand because that's what we needed to actually make the game. Yes, like that's what was there. Yeah. In terms of what a realistic expectation was from the guys that you know did all the planning of the stretch goals and stuff and what was coming out. I'm not sure what they expected because we changed a lot of the stretch goals while we were going. For example, we put in the Dark Root Basin expansion set, which is going to have Sif and Artorius and that in there. Yeah. That legitimately was not planned to be in that Kickstarter. Oh, right. That was likely to be one of the first expansions we released post-retail, mm-hmm. but that was we were not planning on doing that. All right. The demand was huge for it. <laughs> So we added it yeah. because people were saying that it has to be in there or, you know, they'll be absolutely livid. And we were like, all right, then we'll, we'll put it in. Yeah. Like, which, and there was a lot of movement that we did about the stretch goal. The, I know for a fact that the initial stretch goal path that was laid out before the campaign started mm-hmm. was one of the most frequently changed documents throughout the entire period of the Kickstarter. Which mean, is, that, is, it, is it fair to say that was because of the demand? I don't know if it's necessarily the demand. It was just... 
wanting to get it right. Yeah. Okay. I, I, so I guess to a degree that is you get it right down to your demands. That's one of your best gauges for yeah. how you're going to get it right. Of course. But we just wanted to do it right by everybody. We didn't want this to come across as a cash grab. We were like, we are serious about making this a legitimately good board game. We don't. We are, we're aware that the IP is going to bring people in. Yes. But we don't want. We want them to come in for the IP and stay in because it's good. Yes. And I'm really thank you for saying that because I wanted to 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 say my sort of opinion on that because I, I wanted to give you a, give you a huge compliment in that sense because. As someone who gets sent a lot of games and plays a lot of games and, you know, play tests some games and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and gets pitches games and saying, does this sound like a good idea? I've played, unfortunately, too many games that takes, like, the intellectual property of a, a well-known franchise. And it becomes being a board gamer. Anyone a board gamer will understand what I'm saying here, where they'll just literally take a mechanic of a board game, like a, a particular mechanical thing yeah. you do within the game, and just slap the theme on it. So the yeah. theme is like meaningless. Like you could, like I, um, I guess if I could be slightly critical in terms of the games I'm seeing a lot of recently, is resource management, where you pretty much do the same thing over and over again all these games and they just change the theme so it's like oh it's a worker placement right okay what do i do you take you get you um you gather these yellow cubes what are the yellow cubes well the legions because it's set in rome or then they go <laughs> oh it's uh oh i'm in victorian england what's this oh well, they're servants you see my point it's like it, it it's just that they take something that seems appealing and slap it onto a game without yeah. real thought of like you said putting in the mechanics of what makes the game great and yep. I think, like, you know, if you read the Kickstarter, obviously the game's not out yet, but from based on your, your, your assertions and what you've put on the, the actual, pro, on the, on the uh, Kickstarter page, it sounds like you've really paid attention, you know, you've really, like, you know, as you said, you're not just in it for the money, you've, like, you've really tried to make it authentic and, like, the actual game. I mean, game. like, the prime example would be, and I guess this is, like, a bit of a spoiler, but, okay. um, when we were doing the updates, when we go through the updates, in terms of the yeah. updates that go out that are talking about mechanics and stuff within the game, yeah. I tend to write most of those. All oh, right, okay. Um, and we released the one about traps. Yes. And people did not like how <laughs> the traps were functioning. Okay. And it's it's a weird thing. And this is perhaps a decent insight for those that even maybe uh, have backed the game. Yeah. So we may get 80 comments on an update that are majoritively negative. Mm -hmm. And there will always be comments within that comment section that say, like, 90% of the people in here think this is rubbish. You should change it. <laughs> yes. It's like, but that's 90% of 80 people of yeah. 32,000 people. Yes. Like, but it's, it's not how many people say things uh -huh. when we're looking for feedback. And we do take feedback on board. Yes. It's, it's how they say it and how intelligently and, I guess, politely they yeah. put across what they think the issue is. Yeah. There were a few comments within the rants about the traps yes. that made a lot of sense. Yeah. So we went back to the drawing board. This is where the spoilery bit comes in. Okay. That we are currently revising the trap system. It, okay. it was linked to a dice. So uh -huh. essentially, if a room had a trap in it, yep. you would roll a dice. If the tr dice came up as a trap face... Okay. You got hit by a trap. Yes. We've revised it so that you will get 20 trap tokens in the box, uh -huh. 
when you enter a room and it says the room's trapped, you will take five of those trap tokens mm -hmm. that will be face down and put those on the five nodes, which are known as basic nodes, because mm -hmm. each each tile has different types of nodes. You've got entry nodes, you've got spawn nodes, and the yeah. rest are just basic nodes. Yeah, I get you. On every tile, there will always be five basic nodes. It's uh -huh. always almost like we can do maths. Um, <laughs> and you will put those five tokens face down okay. on on those basic nodes. Okay. When you walk on the node, you flip it. Yep. And on the flip side, it will either be blank or it will be a trap. Okay. And I believe the current balance is 11 blanks and nine traps. Okay. So you may walk in a room that has three traps in it and two not traps. You may make it walk in a room and all five are not traps. Okay, and obviously yeah. this isn't every tile because uh -huh. some tiles the encounter card will not be trapped and then yeah. there will be no traps there. I get you. Yeah. And then once you've gone into that room, those trap tokens, once you leave that room, those trap tokens flip back face down. Okay. So if you remember where they are, you, you just don't walk on that node again. You won't get hit ah, by the trap. Okay. Because traps as it was didn't stick to any of the hooks that I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Hook number one, you can apply to traps. Keep learning in there. There mm -hmm. was no way to learn from traps previously. You rolled a die, she got hit, or you didn't. It's that okay, simple. Yeah. Almost too Whereas random, now, yeah. if you remember where it was, yeah. then you won't get hit by it. You know that you've got a limited space to move around. Yeah, because it's not going to change. The there. trap's not going to change where it is. Exactly, yeah. So that makes... That makes perfect sense. Yeah, okay. Because um, you reminded me, like, again, like, um, I think it's something like, you reminded me as you said that, like, I mean, obviously, if you've played as many board games as I do, I'm obviously going to compare some stuff. But um, there's yep. a, in, uh, I think it's Zombie Side or something, if you play certain missions, they have tokens on where um, you don't know where, like, the keys are and the keys yep. get randomized, and that's a similar similar mechanic. Um, I mean, it's, it's funny to try and do things that are random in a game, avoiding dice yeah. without increasing setup time. Because yeah. I had a really interesting chat with DC where we, we basically we just paused. We'd gone through and designed like 350 treasure cards for the game, all wow. in a spreadsheet, yeah. which went across from like A through to like R with all the different stuff we wanted on each card. And we went through all 350 and then had this Skype with DC. Mm -hmm. And he goes, right, we need a serious conversation as to whether these are staying or if we need to completely redo how treasure works. Because what's the worst thing? And you'll be able to answer this as someone that plays board game. What are the worst two parts of playing a board game? Hmm. <laughs> well, setting up. And number one, putting a pot, put and putting back. Yeah. <laughs> number two, right? <laughs> okay, you I thought you know what it is. Just before you carry on, I really thought Alex was tricking me there. I really did. <laughs> no? You have to take that into consideration yeah, yeah. with anything you design. Because yeah. if someone can't be bothered to open it and set it up, <laughs> it doesn't matter how good it is. They're never going to find out because they're well, never going to play it. Well, uh, I would slightly disagree, but I I know what you mean because I can give you a very good example. Being a huge board game person is have you heard of lords of Waterdeep? yep fantastic game um and i would recommend the app because it doesn't require you to set the game up but um yeah i like playing it in person because i I love i like i'm i'm kind of old school and i like seeing the cards in person and i like seeing board games and obviously you get to see people in person as opposed to just playing a random person on the internet yep. um but um, I every time we get a, someone gets loads of water deep out and the expansion because I think it makes the game better. So we play with the um, the uh, the expansion it, it had. Um, I do have that apprehension of oh we're gonna have to like. 
cut this back and, and set yep. it up, you know? So I, I get I get where you're coming from. But I, why I said I slightly disagree with you is, as much as that irritates me, I, I still like it because I'm a, I'm a fan of it. But I guess to kind of make, to, to, to back up what you're saying, if it's someone who's on the fence about buying it, it might be the decision that makes them not buy it. Like if they, it, you know, or something. As much as that, why even have it as a talking point if you can just avoid it by intelligent design? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good point. I mean, yeah. like that's that's kind of where it is. It's like yeah, that was the point you were making. Yeah, some some people won't have an issue with it as long as it's good. I mean, ultimately, the game has an obscene amount of miniatures, an awful lot of cards, and a decent amount of tokens. Yeah, it's not going to be the quickest game to set up in the world, no. but we want it to be the kind of game that you don't have to set up everything as you're going. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry. It up front you set yeah. it up as you're going exactly, so you don't yeah. need everything immediately we're like mm-hmm. okay we need the we know we need these treasure cards we know we need these grunt cards we know we need these encounter cards and we know we need to lay the tiles out that's what we need for now yeah and then as we enter the rooms we can get the models that we need out and then as we're flipping stuff over we can you know get the extra stuff we need to be adding in at the time we need to be adding it in yeah. rather than just pour everything out the box yeah, yeah. okay let's you know, shuffle through this lot and find yeah. what we need. Well, that's what's annoying about um, in Lords of Waterdeep. It's like based on the number of players, it's like they've got they've got card numbers on, and you have to take out the certain cards and stuff. And I just get yep. in certain builds and tiles, and it's like, and then you put them back in when you finish, and it's like it just can get a little annoying. But yeah, but other than that, it's a phenomenal game. And and yeah, and I mean, like you know, if when you if, when you say that, it almost reminds you of like it's almost which is what I I. I have to say, when I read that you were doing it that way, where it's like you sort of explore as you go, and as opposed to setting tiles down, it, it's it's not only. Am I right in saying because as a gamer, I understand this from a from a enjoyment point of view, is that it's not just the setup time is easier, but it's the whole idea of it feels like you're exploring. Is that the reason you did it as well? So as we've gone through with the the like the core design of the game, there's been some tweaks in terms of the way that you actually set up the game. Yeah, you can still do it. Essentially, what we found was the bit the bit that feels like exploration mm-hmm. is actually when you find out what's in the room. Yeah. So the way that we've currently got the setup working is you leave your bonfire tile. Mm-hmm. When you are setting up your tiles initially, you can lay all of them out before you even go anywhere. Yeah. So that you can ba- basically that was done so you can plan ahead for the space you've got to to work with. Mm-hmm. So you'll be like, right, we know that we're on a smaller table, so we're going to make this like a perfect rectangle. Yeah. Or we're on a gigantic table, so we can have this sprawling off all over the place. <laughs> the bit that makes it feel like exploration is that when you first walk in a room and then find out what's in there. Yeah. So the way that we've got that is with the encounter deck. Where as soon as you walk into a room, you will flip the top card of the encounter deck. Mm-hmm. That will tell you where everything spawns, and there will be nodes that correspond to those models, so you know where to put them. Yep. And that encounter card, then, to keep it in theme with Dark Souls, will then attach to that tile. Yep. So then if you want to go back to the bonfire because you want to kill them again, because you want their souls, because you want some more loot, yep. you can go back to the bonfire and bring them back. Yep. At that point, you're not exploring, you know what's in the room. Yep. But if you've only explored two tiles, there's still some exploration to go. Yeah, and that's kind of the way we want it. It's kind of a lot of a lot of the streamlining stuff as you go through playtest is trying to work out sort of is laying down tiles as you go is that the exploration? Because the tile is just a square piece of card. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas the bit that makes it the bit 
that you, you're kind of apprehensive about is like what on earth is going to be in here mm-hmm. is the card that tells you what's going to be in there. So that's the bit that is now done as you progressively go through, but you can lay all the t- tiles out beforehand yeah. to speed it up and get it so that you can, you know, actually play, which is that makes sense. But yeah, people yeah. are limited on space. Yeah, I kind of meant that, and it's just in just a sense of yeah. So I, I get your point in that it's it's when you go into the room that it like sort of gets activated. But my point is, you get so the point I was making was just you get certain games where the stuff's already laid out and the enemies already are, so you can kind of plan like what what route you go and stuff like that that's kind of what i meant so we were kind of like half agreeing there just i didn't think i i guess i didn't phrase what i said properly but yeah i I, just an idiot (laughs) no 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 it was a little bit of everything (laughs) no 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 i just think um i i didn't i don't think i explained it i i I think you just took it a separate separate way than i meant but um but your point was completely valid like um because you know you play stuff like betrayal on the house on the betrayal on the house on the hill or whatever it's called uh where you where that is like a hexagon and like it, you don't know what's in it until it, until the tile gets flipped and stuff, which yep. is it's just a nice experience as opposed to you know if you play like a scenarioed game where it's like right you got to go to this thing and you don't and um, uh, you already know what's in it because you put the enemies down, which is why it's much nicer that you open the door and you don't know which. You know, if we're gonna like compare it to Dark Souls, which I imagine because I've got a few questions about that from your from like the research aspect of it is. You know, Dark Souls. The beauty of it is to explore it and to find what and see what you find. And so, I guess yep. applying that to the board game is is probably what was the most important point, I would say. Um, so, in terms of like yourself and other people who are involved in the in the in making the game, did you guys research by playing the game, or were you already a fan? Um, I was always a huge fan. Okay. Um, we've had a few members on staff that had kind of dabbled with it, got unbelievably infuriated, <laughs> and then given up. Yes. Um, yeah, it all of the members opinion, on the team uh, had Souls. had at least tried it. Yes. But obviously, not all necessarily stuck with it. <laughs> yes. Uh, I have uh, far longer than I'd like to admit put into Dark Souls games. Ah, uh, don't worry. I- I'm prepared to tell if you are. <laughs> um, oh God. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I've I know compl- okay, I'll, I'll, because uh, I'm the host, I'll be kind enough to say, okay, to make you okay. feel better, I'll say, um, I played Dark Souls 1 with a friend of mine, because I was actually trying to think of this and uh, before we, 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 um, came on, was, was Dark Souls the original and Xbox exclusive? Or uh, not? don't believe so, no. Okay, well, I don't remember playing Dark Souls before Dark Souls 2, and so I played it the wrong way around. Like, I played oh, okay. Dark Souls 2 fit. That's what I meant. So I was just unsure as to why I never picked up Dark Souls 1 before then. But anyway, I, I then played it at a friend. So I played the second one first. Um, so anyway, I played... I completed Dark Souls 2 twice, like, and did the whole you're not allowed to use a bonfire <laughs> uh, mode. Like, because um, I was just... I Dark Souls 2 is, like, in my, like, probably like top five of best games i've played and you know i'm I'm nearly 30 so i've yep. played a fair amount of games in my lifetime and i just think it's brilliant but to your point and i don't know whether or not it divides it you, you mentioned steam forge but i imagine like you maybe your friends if they play video games is that it divides opinion <laughs> it's such yeah. a it's such a yeah, marmite game <laughs> i would say i i uh, do I dare say? So I probably put at least 250 hours oh, in Dark see. Souls 1. Yeah, I'm about that for the second um, And that's just Dark Souls 1. <laughs> Dark Souls 2, I, I think I only played through twice. Okay. Uh, that was, you know, you know when you have those periods in life where you just don't play games much? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that came out yeah. in one of those. Yeah, yeah. And then I've done uh, two runs through of Dark Souls 3, like the normal, and then a New Game Plus run on Dark Souls 3. Cool. Um, 
But it kind of gets to that point where if you do anything you love for work, yeah, it, I don't know if I could stomach any more Dark Souls at this point <laughs> after being glued to Dark Souls spreadsheets for the past <laughs> two and a half months making this yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I know the DLC's due out soon. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to have to, you know... Like, know, it sounds like world's, you know, like first world problems. I know, yeah. I'm gonna have to play it because yeah, we need to, to play to a game I really like. Oh god, guys, <laughs> send my send some pledges in, please. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but no, I know what you mean though because um, I'm I'm having that sort of problem with Dark Souls three and that like it's almost I've had like too much Dark Souls and that um, when Dark Souls two came out and I bought it like I couldn't stop playing it. I enjoyed it so much and I like Dark Souls three, but I'm like. I guess because like my my life's a lot busier than it was at the time, so yeah. Um, so there's that aspect as well, but um, I just find myself just playing it for like a couple of hours and then not. Whereas I used to like sort of binge play it, but I don't anymore. But I, I still like perhaps, enjoy it. But. I think that's perhaps partially because it's n- like it's almost like a greatest hits, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not in tight. There's nothing overly new or game changing. Yes. And sometimes you just do hit that point with games. You hit saturation point, and you're like this doesn't feel new anymore and i want to see it through but i don't have the same yeah. excitement because it, it admit, feels yeah i think I, I think you've hit the nail on the head i think that's exactly what i feel like yeah so it's weird but um but yeah and i and i just like dark souls 2 i guess because i played so much of it it has like a special place in my heart <laughs> second one then who's your favorite boss <laughs> oh good question um i liked the i'm terrible at remembering bosses names so please forgive me but um the three people that I liked, because uh, it was the most, for some reason, because uh, actually a good segue, because I wanted to ask you in relation to that, I'll answer your question, but I, I, I'll i say the the, the, the the three boss one in Dark Souls 2, I really liked, you know, the ones where they, they are, the three of them, and you go through the like prison-y bit, and you jump down, and there's like the three ones with the huge like, um the huge like, um what do you call them? Like, um, like lance type things, and or like uh, big, huge axes that spin around. Things. Yeah, the halberd things. The big, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, them three people. Because I watched. I don't know if you've heard of Day Nine, the Twitcher. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm a huge fan of him, and he actually got me into Dark Souls because I'd wa- I watched a lot of his playthroughs, and then he played Dark Souls too, which is how I originally came to know about it. I'd never oh, heard okay. of it since then. Um, which is why I say I don't know what, why I never found Dark Souls 1, but he got me into Dark Souls 2 and then I obviously got hooked on it. And he had the same issue I did as if for some reason that boss was really hard. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of weird in the sense of I like to say my favorite bosses are the hard ones because if you, if you do a boss, it's dead easy. It's like you don't really remember it, whereas you remember the ones that take 30 times to kill. I mean, that's um, the thing. That's that's the hook of Dark Souls. Yeah, that was, that that was another that. one that we were actually trying to carry over to the board game. All right. We could. Okay. Is that... The thing that I think means that you like Dark Souls or dislikes Dark Souls, the thing that Dark Souls brings that other games don't, yes. is that... This is so infuriating that this is going to feel so good when I do it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. If you don't have that part of you that feels really good when you do something that's really hard, yeah. then you'll never, you'll only ever get annoyed by it because you don't have the part in you to get the satisfaction exactly. when you've done it. Whereas exactly. if you do have that bit, yeah. then you're going to enjoy it. And that was something we tried to carry into the board game Yeah, as we were going through. But yeah, I think that's very much one of the hooks is like, I guess you're a bit masochistic to a degree. It's like this really hurts, and I'm gonna end up punching someone in a minute. But, but God, but this it, is gonna feel good when I kill this stupid thing. But it's like, 
but in fairness, I would say I I, I get your point completely because I wanted to ask you about the bosses in a second. But um, I just the, the quick thing I'd I'd add to that is it's a bit like I re, I've been replaying because you said about not like not playing games for a bit. I'm I'm the opposite at the minute. I'm playing a lot of games again, but I had a had a few months where I didn't play hardly anything, and I just really got into and replaying some games as well. And I'm replaying the Mass Effect series, mm-hmm. and it's a similar feeling in the you know because board games to to kind of compare the two um a lot of these games can become repetitive and i often joke about mass effect one where you go to a mission where you may go on like the moon or a random planet and it's the same headquarters with the same layout and yet the mission is different but i i always like joke to people i just didn't care because yep. the the story is unbelievable and like i'm i'm emotionally invested in it and like i often say like last of us is a fantastic example of where because i think sometimes games fall into the trap of, of being too like open worldy and like last of us was just a linear thing where by be, it being linear it immerses you in the story and I like think a but, huge a huge part of video games which i believe there's probably there is some crossover with board games yes a little bit yeah. i couldn't possibly tell you a video game that isn't repetitive yeah of course yeah if yeah, you yeah. like the thing yeah you're doing over and over again yeah, yeah then you'll think it's a good game. Yeah, exactly, yeah. If you don't like the thing you do over and over again, you'll call it repetitive rubbish. Yes. But they are all repetitive. Of course. There's no such thing as a video game that exactly. isn't repetitive. Exactly, but then that's when the difference is, if you do a repetitive thing that has no meaning to it, that's when, like you say, you notice that yep. it's repetitive and you just go, I'm not prepared to, to put the hours into it for it to be repetitive. Whereas if it's something where you want to know what happens in it, then you're happy yeah. to keep doing the same thing because you want to know what's going to happen in the story, yeah. um, which is why, like, sort of, I guess, arcade games are sort of like, which is in, which actually, I just wanted to say because we mentioned Day Nine, is he when he was he got an early access copy of Dark Souls Three, so he was playing it on his Twitch channel, and I watched him live playing it, and he made a really good point in that, which is what you just said, where because he codes games, he works for like a video game company during the day now. And he was saying that coding-wise and the way that Dark Souls has developed with him looking at it as a designer like and does all the code stuff, he's like, the game is fairly simplistic in the way that it's been done, but it's the fact that they've made it so that it just has this awe effect of the... Yeah. You see that tower over there, you actually get to go to that eventually. And yeah. so it's just that sense of wonder of that because a lot of games have like backdrops of like oh wouldn't it be great to go there and you don't and then you look you you end up in dark souls where you actually look great to go to that 2d sky dome yeah yeah, exactly yeah (laughs) and and yeah well in dark souls that's actually true but i mean do you think um because you took you mentioned the bosses do you think part of the awesomeness of it is that like i say have you ever like spoken to friends and said what's your hardest boss you've had to face and what I love about it is it's all different. Like, all the friends I know that have played Dark Souls, like, oh, I really struggle with this boss. And you're like, oh, I one-shot at that boss. And, like... It's this... It kind of goes back to the skill set that you require to play. I say require. Yes. That make the game easier. <laughs> yes, of course, yeah. <laughs> so, some of the bosses are quite rhythmic. Yes. They have a rhythm to it. Yeah. It's like, I go in, it's like... It's almost like that. Move in, hit twice, roll away. <laughs> and if I do that the entire fight... It yeah. doesn't matter what the boss is doing. Yeah. It doesn't matter about all the fancy animations. I know if I go in, hit him twice with two light hits, yes. and do a roll backwards, he'll never hit me. Yes. And as long as I stick to that rhythm, yep. they'll never hit me. Yep. 
for everybody in the world that isn't, well, even people that are good at Dark Souls, yeah. will stick to that rhythm until the boss is nearly dead. Then all of a sudden it's, well, I could just, you know, one more, two more, three more hits, four more hits. Yeah. Oh, I'll keep going. He's needed. Oh, I'm dead. Nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah, got yeah. carried away. Yeah. And then you've got, like, the other skill set of just needing those twitch reactions where you've got someone that just has ridiculously fast um, yeah, attacking, yeah. Uh, ridiculously fast attacks in terms of how many frames they take up. Yeah. So you've just got to have the reactions to know when you can commit and still be able to react quick enough to roll out. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got like resource management fights. Mm-hmm. Some people have all of those skills, so yeah. they won't find any of the bosses hard. Yeah, yeah. Some people have two of them, so they find the other one that's hard. Yeah, it's yeah. all about finding that balance, which is where you get the difference in people mm-hmm. that you know find which boss easy, which boss hard. And then there's the aesthetic side. Like There's yeah. a lot of people like, my favourite boss is Ornstein and Smau, and it probably right. will always be Ornstein and Smau, because I love the aesthetic of the fight. I think yeah. both of their armour sets cool. I think it's weird how you got... This gigantic dude in this gigantic armor who's supposed like the armor makes him look fat, but he's actually just ridiculously buff underneath it and he's not fat at all. And then like his, his little friend with his spear. And I just think the aesthetic of that fight is amazing, which is why that was one of my favorite fights to make for the board game. Yeah. Like one of my primary jobs with the board game has been translating all the behaviors from the video game into the card form. Yeah so that they are a true representation of the fight. Ornstein and Smell, for example, in the, the board game, for the first part of the deck, so the way bosses work, I don't know if you're sure, but mm-hmm. um, the, every boss has a what's called a heat-up, which yes. is like your typical like berserk-style thing when they hit half health or yeah, there yeah. or thereabouts. Of course, yeah. So their one is they both have they have one card which has an ability for each of them throughout the start phase and I've intentionally done those so that they never lock up they move in different directions one might move forward one might stay still and then once you kill one of them mm-hmm. the other one regenerates all of their health <laughs> and then you swap in an entirely new heat up deck and just fight one on their own yes to replicate the video game fight mm-hmm. yeah and being able to do to to match that so closely is it just makes me so happy that there are fights in the game because there was always that concern I think of it's just like every fight being here's ten cards draw down to five here's three heat up cards yeah. when you hit half health chuck another one in yeah we could have quite easily done that for every boss in the game yeah people would have bought them because the models are cool yep got them out once gone well that felt the same as the dancer. Yeah, and yeah. been entirely not happy with I it. I see your point, yeah. Because, like, a, but, essentially, like, a deck builder or something. You know, like, yeah. deck building games where you just, like, chuck in, as you say, like, you, uh, like, sort of chuck in a card and go, it's suddenly bigger, but you, you actually wanted to have, essentially, some character and yeah. be different, yeah. So, that must have been hard, yeah. And one of the, one of the most fun ones, you know, the Executioner's Chariot. You yeah, yeah. With the Executioner's yeah, Chariot. Yeah, yeah, so um, the one where you put the gate down to, to stop it, yeah. So that's one of the mega bosses we've done. Brilliant. We could have quite easily gone, oh, you just gotta beat the chariot to death and then you win. Yeah. <laughs> the way that we've got that working, it's on a, it's still on square tiles, but it's got a circular path laid out on it. Brilliant. There is a spawn point on, uh, halfway round yeah. on each side. When every player character's finished activating, the chariot will ride round the half circle. Brilliant. If you've not ducked into one of the alcoves that are on the tile, you'll get hit in one shot. Brilliant. There are necromancers that summon skeletons. Yeah. 
Yeah. And there is a node that is a switch at the far end of the room. Yeah. The switch doesn't activate until you've killed all of the necromancers and skeletons. Yep. Then you walk onto the switch, which shows that the gate drops down, and then you fight the horse. Yeah. Brilliant. We could have so easily done, just run up to the chariot and hit it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you killed it, congratulations, you've won it. Yeah, yeah. We wanted all of the fights to feel like the video Fantastic. game Fantastic. And again, that mustn't be, that must be like a, not a pain to do because you want to do it, but as you say, you could easily go for the, the, the easier option and go, like you say, cause it's, uh, it's nice to hear someone, like you clearly use care about it because, you know, you could easily have been, especially with the amount of money you got for the kick card, I go, oh, that'll do. We can't, we, we can't yeah. like do everything. And we'll just go, oh, we'll just do that because people have already gave her the money or, or we'll, we can, we can be half-hearted in this aspect of it because yeah, I have to say like if I did, play that game because dark souls has the unique bosses which we just talked about in terms of the video game so if we play if i did play the board game and found it it was like there, there were virtually no difference in bosses that would kind of disappoint me so yeah. it's good it makes sense that you did that like i want to talk about because i just as, as as you've been talking i've been obviously looking at like the expansion stuff because like I'm, I'm interested in that in the sense of um was that always the idea to like include because like just for people who who are listening i I guess like we're assuming people are dark souls fans but like there's 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 stuff that you come across like sort of i guess mini bosses you can describe them as or just like unique individuals that you come across like the crystal wizards i'm pleased to say that you've got in which i really like Um, oh they are a pain (laughs) yeah yeah exactly yeah Uh, they're playing that they're a pain to uh to to follow and kill but um and just like a bunch of like because obviously you find regular people to kill as you go along so is that was that sort of the idea um and like how difficult was it to include them or was that always the plan so i mean if i would be 100 as well like, if I was supposed good. to be like uh, 100% transparent with everything, yeah, I'd say currently the most lacking department of the board game, which I mean we're hoping to do something about post retail, yes, is possibly the lack of variation in grunts. Okay. Um, I mean, there's there's only so much we can do in terms of time to get all of the grunts we want in there. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to make the kind of you know the more special, not quite mini bosses, but they do have character to them in terms of like the more fancy grunts, I yeah. guess we'll call. So, for example, mechanically, the crystal lizards, as you highlighted them as one that you were really happy was in there. Mm-hmm. Um, the way they work is they don't they obviously don't attack you. Yep. And they run away from you. Yes. But when they are within one node of another grunt, Mm -hmm. you can't attack them. Okay. So you have to clear the room before you kill them. Ah, right, yeah. But you don't want to get too overcommitted on chasing after them. (laughs) Because if you get overcommitted chasing after them, then you're never going to kill anything. So you've got this balance of like... I was when laughing there because you just to... brought me back to playing the game where like you chase after them and like you're getting like arrows thrown at you or something. You just like yep. I really want that lizard. <laughs> yep, just one is precious titanite. I'll so... go come back to you later. No, stop shoving that sword in my back. So, um, are they like the game in that they drop like? So if you do kill them, do they drop treasures? So well, the like, way that we currently have stuff. treasure working, mm-hmm. um, each room, each encounter has a soul level difficulty. Okay. Those are Soul Level 1, Soul Level 2, Soul Level 3. Yes. Makes sense. Uh, on the boss's data card, whether that be mini boss, main boss, or mega boss, mm-hmm. it will say the, like, the levels of difficulty that 
that you sh- we recommend you have in there. So say, for example, on the dancer's card, it might say one soul level two mm-hmm. and three soul level threes. Okay. That's how you construct your encounter deck. Yes. That's your four cards for your encounter deck, and that's the difficulties. Okay. They are then shuffled into a deck, and you draw them. Yep. As you're killing things, you get souls equivalent to the soul level multiplied by your the amount of people playing. Okay. So if I'm playing with two people and we kill a soul level three, we get six souls. Okay. That's the numbers currently. Those numbers are still in playtest, but they are the current numbers. Okay, okay. As you're going through, you will obviously get these souls. You can then go back to the bonfire tile where there is a blacksmith and a firekeeper. Mm-hmm. From the firekeeper, you can buy treasure flips. Currently, it's two souls per treasure flip. Okay. And you will flip over. So there aren't direct drops from anything other than bosses and... Okay. Uh, mimics. Okay. Um, you will get your treasure flips, mm-hmm. and each piece of equipment has required stats on it. Yes. So you won't be able to use a few Ultra Great Sword unless you have really high strength. Mm-hmm. You flip a few Ultra, Gold, uh, Ultra Great Swords super early, all of a sudden you found that you're the warrior in your group wants to go to the firekeeper and start putting souls into leveling up so he can use it. Yep. Your souls are a shared resource as a party. Mm-hmm. When you kill something, it goes into a cache. You share them. All right. You need to decide what is best. The way that we've managed to prevent you just being able to snowball one person is mm-hmm. you each only have your limited amount of stamina and health. Yes. When one person dies, if that one person was your ridiculously strong guy you've pumped all your souls into, <laughs> you're done. <laughs> like, there's no point in carrying on. Okay. You're not going to be able to do it. You've got to try and balance your party across. And you can hold on to items and be like, right, we'll hold on to that one for later because we'll use that later, but we're not going to pour everything into you just yet. So in terms of, like, um, in, in reference to that, because obviously Dark Souls, for those that haven't played, is the whole idea, it's like, I'll give the quick version in case someone hasn't done the, played any Dark Souls. This is basically the basic premises in terms of, like, the, the video game is that you, you start off as a, as a, as a, as a character and you can pick a number of different characters which are in the board game version. Um, and you get bonfires, which you can kind of use as teleport, teleporters, and also it like sort of replenishes your health and, and also the enemies around. And, um, you basically, um, as we were touching on earlier, you get to go to a certain number of, you, you, you run into bosses and random, random creatures and stuff like that. Um, so just that's just the, the, the brief version. I mean, like you don't necessarily need to know the plot because the plot's like not a byproduct. <laughs> I always say, um, I don't really quite understand the plot even to this day. But um, it's just like you're a, you're a, you're a dead person. You're a dead person, and you're trying to get your soul back, basically. So uh, I kind of just say to people, it's the arcade version of like um, Soul Calibur or something. <laughs> it has that feel to it, and it's very arcadey. So, so because what I wanted to ask you about. You said about working with people and... Oh, yeah, that was the thing I was going to ask you. Is Because um, when you die in the video game, is you get you have the option to be able... like you, you go to the nearest bonfire, which I read in the Kickstarter as what happens in this. But then, are you able to go back and collect the soul? Like, do you drop anything when dying? Because obviously in the game, you die yep. your souls and you get you to go back. You drop your souls. Is this you got to go back and get them. So you yeah. drop them on the node that you died. Yes. So the way we've got it working currently, if you are, if you, one person, when you're exploring and you're up against grunts. Yes. If one person dies, you all go back to the bonfire. Okay. The souls are dropped on the node which the person died on. Yes. When you're in a boss... When one person dies, they go back to the bonfire and everyone else can keep fighting the boss. Ah, all right, cool. 
when the last person dies in a boss fight, you drop the souls on the node that they were standing on. Okay. If you walk back onto the node that your souls are on, you pick them back up. If you die before you get there, you lose them all, just like in the video. Yeah, yeah, just that's why I wanted to ask because it just obviously makes sense because it's such a huge component of of the video games. Um, Because you mentioned like because what might be confusing to people if they've not heard that there's a board game of this coming out, they've obviously might be listening to this because they're fans of the video game. Is the 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 aspect of cooperative because obviously Dark Souls is a predominantly single player experience. Yep. So was that like I'm interested in like that decision making process? Like was was that always the idea? And like was it kind of a strange thing to kind of go, we're going to make this um, a cooperative? Because I know it's like it's optional, isn't it? You can play it also as a single player experience. I'm guessing. Yep. Um, yep. So so like just explain. Like I'm interested to just ask you about the cooperative aspect. Is that like something that you thought wouldn't work, or that was always the idea, or did you go? we want to give people that option like what was the process so it was very much a case of what makes board games fun yes uh for most people not all yes. but for most people that is getting some friends around yes if you're old enough grabbing some alcohol and just having a laugh yeah and you just sit down you have a laugh and you you enjoy the company of people face to face. That's what makes that's what separates the experience of board games from video games. I agree. We wanted the option to be there for if people are just a fan of the game to be able to play it themselves and then maybe say to their friends, "You should come round because I just played through this and it's really good and I want to give <laughs> it a go with you." Yeah. Um and it was always intentional that we wanted to be able to involve as many people as we possibly can within the lam- limitations of the systems of the nodes yeah. and tiles that we use. Makes sense. Um, we were extremely fortunate in how the balancing for the game works out because it wasn't necessarily an initial thought of ours, but you'd have assumed it's easier to kill something with four dudes than one dude, right? Yes. That, that sounds easier. Yeah, yeah, of course. But it naturally balances itself out because you have less immediate reaction when there's four of you. Mm-hmm. I activate my dude, then the boss or grunts will go, then the next person round goes with their dude. Yeah. I don't get to react until the enemy's gone yeah, three yeah. more times. Yeah, exactly. Whereas yeah. if I'm playing on my own, I get to activate I get to react immediately to Yeah, that. yeah. But the trade off is I get I have more resources to play with when yeah. I'm playing with four other people. Yeah. So it's that trade-off of being able to interact with immediacy to what the boss is doing and take advantage of any weak point that it like shows. Mm-hmm. And then the, the trade-off in the we can react as a group to things and we can try and set up these situations so that they're efficient for you. Yeah. But it will never be as efficient because I don't have 100% control over it, which is why they get more resources. Yeah. And I would love to claim that that is a masterstroke in balancing. Yeah. It was a happy accident. Well, yeah, no, no. I, I, I imagine that's a lot. That's, that's. I've, I imagine that even happens in sort of video games because as you would, as you were describing that, actually, I was thinking about like you know, which you said. I think you you said earlier you played a bit of D and D, and that um, uh, when I played like for example, I like uh, I played a campaign of Dragon Age, and 
And it kind of has that similar feeling of like, like you say, if you're like your character goes off and wanders on your own, and the and you meet a you you meet like an enemy on your own, and you think, oh, that was easy, and then you but you you do naturally think with four people, and you meet a really difficult boss. You're like, oh, it's going to take some time, but what if the boss decides to hit the person who's delayed in the the turn and they can't move? Then yeah, it it does quite happily as you say it balanced itself out so um yeah and i just actually think it's surprising because i never sort of thought because it makes sense like why would you do a board game with just one person able to play it you've obviously got to think of the cooperative aspect but i actually think and is it it in your opinion did you do you agree that the cooperative aspect of this just just was just works with the, the setting and everything that it just makes sense I mean, I would say yes, potentially because of the genre of board game we chose. I mean, yeah. dungeon crawlers are fun when you're playing with people. Yeah, yeah. Getting loot is always fun. Exactly, yeah. Um, but the, the single player, the, we're super happy with how the single player functions. I mean, yes. the fact that we managed to get these AI decks, so like, it's a, I don't know if it was like clear, but it is 100% single player. You don't need like a DM to control these bosses. Of course, yeah. One of the other players can control the bosses. They're entirely controlled by the deck. Yeah, that's when I've saying. demoed yeah. this at various conventions, yeah. it's one of the most fun games I've ever demoed because I can be like a bit of a, Am I allowed to swear? Yes, you can, yeah. I can be a bit of an arsehole. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, get a bit of a bravado about you. Because uh-huh. I'm not doing it. I'm literally flipping over a card yeah. and going, okay, so she moves forward and kills you three. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not like, a, oh, really? Like, can I not negotiate that? And it's like, no, that's what the card says. <laughs> that's what the card says, yeah, yeah. and that's what the card does. Yeah. But it's the, that kind of... Being able to do that entirely by yourself and govern the pace of it entirely by yourself yeah. is genuinely something that I really like. And the fact that you can get that lasting impression by doing something on your own. Mm-hmm. So say you just you just bought it because you love Dark Souls and maybe you like miniatures painting. Yes. And you the two come together and you're like, this seems like a reasonably decent price set for what I get. Uh-huh. I'm going to get them and I want to do some miniatures. And then you say, well, okay, I'll paint it at the miniatures. I'm really happy with them. I'm going to give it a go. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was irritatingly good. Have I got any friends that can come around so I can see if it's still fun as a group? And it's kind of that that sort of transition up through of just basically, I guess at the simplest way to say, it's just given it every option we possibly could yeah. within the mechanics of the, that function makes within sense, the yeah. game. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, because... Um, I, I, I think also as well, because, I mean, it seems, uh, you know, obvious to say is that if you buy a game of this, let to this level, and you, you, as you say, you make, cause I have, um, just to clarify, I have a, a game night session on a Friday night, so people come to my flat and we play whatever, and we currently, we played Firefly on Friday, and I really like that game. Um, we were playing with like the, all the expansions and stuff, and. Is that the card one? Uh, no, it's the one where, uh, well, yeah, it's card. It's card orientated. Um, so, so I'm trying to remember what it was. I think we played it at Gen Con before we were getting our flight back. But okay, was, but yeah, yeah it's really based on it. the the television series that Josh Wheaton did, and you get your own uh, Firefly ship. And um, but the reason I bring this up, if I'm going to be critical about it, because it leads me to ask you about um, you know uh, equipping your equipping your player, equipping your character, because. One of the things that sort of disappoints me with certain games, because I do like that game a lot because there's a lot of stuff you can do in it, um, but the thing that really disappoints me, but they seem to be rectifying it because they're bringing out like um, expansions where you can buy varying ships, is that your ships, uh, your starting ships are all the same starting ships. 
so there's no like different difference so yeah. um and i i get it in in terms of the theme so i'm not overly critical but i'm just like it would be sort of nicer that you could kind of you know make do do more in that aspect whereas i'm pleased to say it goes back to like i say being praising steamforge as a company uh, as a company is because you guys have looked at the game and went well like the key thing i would say like which is people who are listening who are dark souls fans are going to get this as you go if you could name stuff about dark souls it's like equipping your character bonfires um the difference in bosses the random people you meet and the ex and the feeling of exploration like I, I, i'm assuming some i imagine you might be able to come up with more but they're just off the top of my head the most important so just i wanted to get to the equipment side of it because so like how hard because you mentioned the treasures and said you had that conversation on skype about like are we going to change that so like how hard was it to come up with like the itemization and equipping your characters and stuff Fortunately, DC is like some sort of spreadsheet wizard <laughs> who came up with... Um, that should like be an a, unlockable character, spreadsheet wizard. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like basically a mathematical costing system okay. which gives a value to stats. Okay. So, for example, um, one dodge on a piece of armor yes. is cheaper in terms of costing than one dodge on a weapon. One dodge on a weapon is an extremely sought-after stat. That should be hard to get. Yeah. So dodge on a weapon might be worth, say, eight, whereas dodge on a piece of armor is worth two. Okay. So you, you basically you go through the stats on every card and you add up the costing, and then we can see. So say we've got a bracket of treasure which is costing, like, this is how many upgrades we think you should have to equip this. Mm-hmm. And we look at them and we see, so say that that was a tier tier three upgrades on dexterity okay uh, items that are available to you when you've done that yeah we could look at it and go well all of these are worth 18 uh-huh. so in terms of the costing these are all balanced and obviously mm-hmm. that's as much balancing information as we can get from a spreadsheet yeah but there may be one that is 28 mm-hmm. so we know that that one's too good yeah, because we we have the maths going down. So it started off at that. Okay, just going through hashing out how we wanted everything to look, going through all of the variables we've got, trying to work out things like how do we implement consumables, mm-hmm. how do we implement rings so that it's not clunky, mm-hmm. how do we implement it so it stays streamlined. Yeah. Um. So you can upgrade weapons with titanite, mm-hmm. and weapons have upgrade oh, slots on them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've also got the different gems. So, for example, a heavy gem scales off your strength. And the way that we've simplified scaling mm-hmm. is you have your tiered stats. If you have more than 20 strength, it turns any black dice into a blue dice. Mm-hmm. If you have more than 30 strength, it turns any blue dice into an orange dice. Mm-hmm. So if you you can use that to put it onto your weapon, or you could just go with Titanite, which is generally just plus one to whatever your damage roll yeah, is. Yeah, like the game. Yeah. Armor is upgraded with rings. Yes. So they also have upgrade slots. You upgrade those with rings, and rings generally just have special abilities. We've got some that make it so you can dodge two nodes when you dodge, some that make dodges free, some that mm-hmm. make it so you can attempt to make a dodge after you failed to block, things right. like this, to try and make it so that all the equipment feels unique. 
to try and make the characters feel unique, mm -hmm. we've added in a system called Once Per Spark Abilities. The way that started was we were looking at how to keep them separate because we didn't ever want to make it so that classes were too gated from treasure. Yeah. Something that's super apparent in Dark Souls is how customizable it is. And generally, unless you're trying to min-max, how trivial your choice of your starting character is. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. We mm -hmm. wanted that in there to a degree. Mm-hmm. So that you could kind of, if you want to be a sorcerer running around with a great sword, you can do that. We yeah. don't want to gate that from you. Okay. Uh, but we need to keep some degree of of character in there, some yeah. degree of identity to them. So we added in once per spark abilities. Yes. Sparks are the lose condition. Mm -hmm. um, if you die or want to reset at the bonfire, you know, recharge your Estus, make everything spawn again, it would cost you a yeah. spark. Mm -hmm. Every time you do that, you recharge your once per spark ability. And these are like, kind of like, do you know what the term like a feat would be? Yeah. yeah so they're kind of like a, a mini feat, yeah. which aren't game changing. Yes. But used in the right situation can be the difference between your group dying or your yeah. group surviving. And they're, they're tailored to what the different ones do. The heralds is more supporty. The knights is more towards tanking. Yeah. But... They are not only useful in those roles. Of so, course. for example, you could use the Herald one to just have a really offensive Herald turn. The Herald one regenerates two of your stamina uh -huh. and two of your group stamina. Yeah, okay. So I could use that to set someone else up to have a huge attack turn. Great. But they might not. They might get no use for it. If the rest of my group hasn't spent any stamina and I go in and I'm like, well, I really want to do you know, a huge amount of damage here, so I'm going to pop it just for myself and be selfish. They've, they've all got ways that you can use them <laughs> outside of the way that you know, we see them, that yeah. they should be used. Yeah, yeah. Um, that makes sense. And then yeah. we've also got it so that the, kind of the max tier stats when you're upgrading things... Mm -hmm are different across the characters. Yeah. So, as I said earlier, the Fume Ultra Greatsword, you need 40 strength to wield that, and 40 is our highest stat. Okay. A warrior at tier 3 strength gets 40. Oh, okay. So a warrior can have that. Yeah. A herald caps out at 37. So a herald would never be able to use that. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's how we've, we've kind of tried to separate them a bit but not made too many, you can't do that. Yes. Because that's one big thing that we we kind of try to follow as a company is we don't like you can'ts. We don't like nevers. Okay. That's glad. I'm glad to hear that. That makes sense. Because um, I, I wanted to make sure I get into this because uh, obviously you touched on it in terms of miniatures. So I wanted to get into talking about the miniature aspect of it because yeah. I'm not... I, I mean, like you said, you when I asked you at the beginning of the show, we were talking about... Um, that you were a fan of like Warhammer and like what I was going to say or like you were aware of it growing up and I was one of them people like you where I sort of like bought few but like never used them and I'm not necessarily uh I know some people who are like which I'm sure you understand because you'll will be customers like this I imagine or that you, you might have heard this in feedback is or you might just know people is that the there are some people I know who are just like 100% miniatures and they don't buy any other type of game and um whereas I'm probably say I'm about like 80 20 in terms of like I I don't mind miniatures but it's not like the be all and end all for me but like so I guess from my point of view because I I'm not as aware of miniatures as probably someone else listening to this might be is that like so what are the miniatures in this game and like do you get them I mean, it sounds like a simplistic question, but are they all painted and everything, or can you paint them yourself? Or So they're not painted. Okay. Um, we made a conscious decision to make them all one piece. 
Okay, so they all come attached to bases. You don't need any glue to put them together, and that was right. a conscious yeah, yeah, decision. Yeah. Okay, um, I believe the intention currently is to have each expansion coloured appropriately for those that don't want to paint them. And by that, I mean the intent is for invaders to be red. Yes. The intent for summons is that they're like a the white. whitey yeah. kind of goldy colour. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's so that it's easy to separate them out from each different type, which expansion it's coming, whether this is a good guy or a bad guy. Yeah. But if you prime it black or prime it whatever colour you prime in, you can still paint it as you would like to do it. Yeah. So we're trying to kind of do the best as both worlds as we can in terms of budget because it just costs so much for pre-painted of miniatures, course. especially on this scale. I get you, yeah. That's why um, I sort of asked, yeah. Make to sense. try and get it so that you know you can you've got kind of the slight aesthetic there if you have no interest in painting them just using them as miniatures to play the board game so that you can play it functionally mm-hmm. and still having the really nice quality miniatures and it's blowing our own horn a bit but the miniatures are beautiful our sculptors absolutely smashed it yeah and ludo factor so good at making them indeed yeah um it, it, to be able to provide an experience that people from both sides of the court can be happy with yeah that makes sense um and yeah as you say quite rightly i mean like uh, i know enough to know through talking to people who do miniature stuff that it's just it is dead dead it's dead dead expensive and you might not please everybody so giving someone the option is always a good idea um so so in terms of like i guess the obvious question to ask because we mentioned earlier how much that this gate this made <laughs> um and I guess it would be fair to ask me because part of it me is, is is just interested in the sense of where do you go from here? I mean, like, is it going to be one of these things where with that amount of money, are you going to like just keep bringing out stuff with it, or like what's the kind of fall process like in terms of from here, like in? The I know that there's been a, always been an intent to continue to bring out expansions as the game progresses. Yes. Um. Something that's peculiar within design, which for me, being relatively new to design, was like the weirdest thing to get my head around. When you're designing a game and you're, it's say, bosses, for example, when we're designing bosses, I could look at a boss and go, that'd be really cool if I could do that, but the rules don't allow for it. Mm-hmm. Or I could change the rules to make them allow for it. And you, you can do that, but you have to resist the temptation with your boundaries. Mm-hmm. You have to try and make your boundaries concrete, otherwise you'll never bring a product out. Because you just constantly think of new stuff. Exactly, yeah. There are a lot of expansions that we want to do that mm-hmm. we know we need those rules set in stone and we need to know that they're you know, being well received and everyone's happy with them so that we can lock them in and get the expansions we want to bring out working as we want them to work. Mm-hmm. There's a long old list of bosses that people had asked for in the Kickstarter that unfortunately we couldn't do what we did with Sif and Artorius and bring them out. Yeah, Simply because... You need to know your foundation before you make some of this stuff. You of need course, to you yeah. need to know how it's going to function. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, obviously, you know, we intentionally avoided putting Dark Souls three content in there as much as possible. I mean, we put the dancer in there because she was in the beta of the game. She was quite well known into to how she worked. Yes. And then we put Vort in there as you know the first boss you come across in the game. Just yep. about everybody's gone against him at this point. We yeah. wanted to avoid spoilers where possible, but there are a lot of bosses within Dark Souls three that we'd like to put in there. So yeah, there's no, definitely a large catalog for us to draw from. Of course, yeah. But 
we will never be a company that puts stuff out to take advantage of those people that want everything. Yeah. If we if we hit that flooding point where we just realize that we're not we're not making these for the right reason anymore, we'll stop making them. Yeah, That's yeah. how we are as a company. We won't just keep bleeding a stone dry because people are willing to throw money at it. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't necessarily mean if someone's bought the game already that they might not want everything. Like, I, I, or like they, they they might not be able to afford like all yeah. the extra stuff. You know, there's that aspect as well. But um, so yeah, you, you you can also you can sort of like bleed people dry. And like I always say, and I guess my point of view is like, I mean, you're preaching to the converted because I'm a huge Dark Souls fan. <laughs> so you know, I'm I'm already thinking like I'm gonna get my game. I'm gonna tell my game people on Friday we should buy this, um, because I was like. Um, I, I just wanted to see how it went first, but then because I obviously the thing I want to end the podcast by asking is like how people can get the game and stuff. Um, is yeah, just because it's always good to like sort of chip in with friends and go, I really want to get this game, let's get it, and like you know, it's re- it's it's relatively cheap in that aspect if you look at it that way. Yeah. Um, for the amount you get, and based on what I've read on the Kickstarter, which I encourage people to go to, by the way, if you go to projects slash Steamforge slash Dark Souls the board game, just type in Dark Souls the board game and Google or whatever, you'll you'll find it simple enough. Um, and read what I've been using for this conversation. Um, so yeah, um, uh, I, I, that makes a lot of sense what you said, like, um, and because obviously as well, like a bunch of people like me will spend stuff on other games as well. So we, I might not buy, you know, yeah. too many expansions for one for one game. But it makes we sense are not. What you said about uh, we are not deluded enough to think that we are the only game in existence <laughs> and the only games games company in existence. Yeah, as much as I. You know that would be nice every now and then to not have competition. <laughs> Competition's what drives everyone, right? Yeah, yeah. And also, um, I- I've said this so many times, people are probably annoyed. And I'm going to say it again: is that any time I ever get any board game companies on, like I told Alex before we started, like I used to interview like bands and stuff years ago, and I used to like hate asking the boring, mundane questions. But because certain industries, I've 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 talked to people in are like either rude or obnoxious or they're a little bit like you know not genuine like you are like or you and just generally just like a person who's passionate is making something that they like that's not usually the case is that you you sometimes find some people who are just um you know not not aware of how fortunate they are and all this kind of thing and and it's just nice to hear that from this point of view because um in terms of the board game industry which I always say you got like it, it, they are. What I like about it is, you're obvious about the fact that like you, you but good board game companies that do well and are and it and it's obviously like I, I would say the board game industry is sort of thriving at the minute in terms of the renewed interest. Yeah, is that it's always good, like you say, to have competition and like you. But what I love about it is when me and you are t- me and you are having this conversation now. You're not like sort of shying away from the fact that there's other companies around and there's games that other people like and. I, like I had Andrew Hackard from Steve Jackson Games on, and you know we spent time talking. About, I was like, "So what other games do you like?" And he went, "Oh, well, I like this, 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 and this." And you know, my point is, if he was in the music industry and said, "Oh, you should listen to this artist, this artist, this artist," he would get fired. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was going to say at the moment, I'm we're having a huge thing at work at the moment over the Game of Thrones LCG. All oh, right, everyone's playing that at the moment. Okay. We're, We've got a little friendly tournament tomorrow where it's the Steamforge lot. We've got Element Games, who okay. are like 
close to us who's okay. a, a big gaming store down here who owns oh, a yeah. big gaming centre okay. we're having a little Steamforge versus Element tournament for <laughs> the Game of Thrones card game tomorrow brilliant and I've also been playing a decent amount of Bushido recently oh, like right. I, I just like playing games I don't, yeah. I'm not picky about who makes them if they're good games I'll play them yeah, and yeah. that is where we are happy as a company yeah, yeah. we want to get our reputation as a company that makes good games that people want to play yeah, and I and I have to say, in fairness, I'd have heard of you guys before, uh, before even Dark Souls became a thing, and obviously that's when you sort of became involved in it. So it's just like this is just obviously hugely helped in that regard, and and I guess if you would be sort of like looking at it from an objective point of view, um, it's having the fact that you've got a really really good IP, and it's like how well you you deal with that is obviously going to help you in future stuff as well. Um, yep. Because, like, I talked to, like, Chris Birch from Modiphius who makes a bunch of, you know, he got, like, the Thunderbirds board game and stuff like that, and he makes a, he's made, like, a, they got, like, the rights to the Conan game not too long ago, like, as in Conan the Barbarian stuff, yep. um, like, based on the actual books, not the not the terrible Arnold, Arnold film, <laughs> um, which was sort of, ba- not sort of loosely based on the books, but, um, uh, but anyway, yeah, so, because um, I, I'm glad you said that, because I feel confident enough that you're, you're okay being asked this, then. So, because I asked Andrew this to sort of uh, to wrap things up, because I know we as we've been about just over now, is um, what games like are you? What games would you say like are on your list of like games you really enjoy? Like I guess you sort of like top ten list of body games, video um, games type stuff. Let's have a look. So I won't give them in any order because no, no, whatever. That's, I'm, yeah, that's I'm not too hard. <laughs> no, um, no, Alex, I'm going to force you. <laughs> oh, so no. number ten. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. No, I'm really not that like anal about it. So go ahead, just whatever. Um, just, just, just even I, not even top ten. Just rattle some off. I love like. Blood Rage. At the okay. Blood Rage is super good. Yep. One of the cool mini or not ones, uh, the Vikings and stuff. It's just awesome. Yeah, totally. Um, what's uh? This is going to sound. This is where it's going to sound shilly because a lot of them are games that we make. <laughs> um, there's a game that we're bringing out called Shadow Games, which is super close to like the coup style thing, but it's oh, set right. within the Guild Ball world. Okay. And I just like that style of social game, and it's it's I I think it's one of the best ones out there. Yeah, I have. Um, I, I was. I would have showed. I, I would show you on the video, but it's just too far away. But I have. I have coup, and it's a great game. Um, um, so yeah, that's super fun. Coup is mm-hmm. always super fun. Yep. Oh god, I can't remember what it's called. One of the um, our social media guy, um, Jamie Giblin, picked up a game. I don't know if you know what it is, but it's like chess, but you've got f- like I can't. I think it's five pieces each, mm-hmm. and then you get two movement cards each, and there's one card to the side of the board, and you can only do the movement with a piece of the card you've got. But when you play it, you place that card where the card on the side is and pick that card up. And it's like you've got to take the queen or get like a checkmate, but you've only got five pieces and you're limited on your moves. But you might want to hold on to a card that you really want to do the move for because you don't want to give your opponent it. And it's like a Japanese-style aesthetic, and I cannot remember what it's called. It's going to drive me insane. Yeah, I don't think I know that. No, I'm not heard of that. Sounds, yeah, because I love the fact, like, because have you guys been to Essen? Uh, I believe they've been uh, for Spiel in Essen. Yeah, yes, the actual Spiel, convention. Yeah. Yeah. They went to Spiel last year. We're going this year as well. Yeah. All right, cool. Because um, it's not soon, or it's yes, it, it's very soon. It's yeah, it's like October. October yeah. Because um, yep. the reason I, I bring that up is because what I love about like sort of the German, the German aspect of things is. Um, 
is the uh, lot because with Germany being like sort of the center for like where all the European stuff comes from, like yeah. and, and all the sort of like Asian games and stuff, because they port a lot of like Japanese imported stuff and then make it like you know translate them into European languages. And so I've played some like you know really really good Japanese games that have got really poor, piss poor English uh, translations, but are still like a really really good game. Um, so yeah, I'm taught like uh, yeah, there's some Japanese games that are really great, but like. You know, I could rattle off a few games and say if you like them or not, but that would just take too much time. <laughs> I mean, um, I mean, do you get enough time? I mean, what about like, um, what about video games? Obviously, we talked a lot about sort of Dark Souls. Like, what kind of stuff are you into? Um, I think I have to say this and like hang my head in shame. <laughs> over the past few weeks, I've been playing World of Warcraft again. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. Um, so I got back into WoW, just okay. playing it super casual with a group of friends. Okay. Um, I I'm, really a, um, like I'm a regular Hunter. Elder Scrolls. I'm a regular Elder Scrolls Online player, so um, I play that with some friends. So um, play Monster Hunter a decent amount. Cool. Um, obviously, Dark Souls though less Dark Souls recently because I've just hit saturation point on it. Because <laughs> you do it as a job, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm yeah. finally getting back into painting a little bit. Like, All right. As in miniature painting, I used to do it an awful lot, mm-hmm. and then it just started to feel a bit too much like work. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I've been working here long enough to, you know, to get over that hump now. So I've been painting a little bit. But yeah, basically, you know what it's like when you're playing an MMO; it just absorbs your entire life. So yeah, it does. Mainly take... WoW now. Yeah, well, I, I mean, you know, I, I literally we play every Sunday, like a, it's a decent period. Like we actually like set aside some time because we made the decision of like if we don't do that, we'll never play. So we yeah. make sure we do it at the same time for just a few hours, and as, and we like limit it to that because we 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 we've done it the last couple of weeks where we're just like, oh, one more quest, just one more quest. <laughs> like, can you just yeah. like, no, no, we're gonna limit to this time, otherwise we're gonna we play it too long so if you kind of have that attitude with it it's good because you like slowly have your guy level up and it's like um it just takes longer as opposed to like grinding it just for the sake of grinding i think if you have that experience with mmos they can be a lot more enjoyable um but yeah um i just wanted to ask uh, as one of the last things we'll say and we wrap this up is just to say like because uh i noticed you've got like uh, finger tattoos which i'm sort of trying to show now i've got Mm -hmm. a couple um so because i was interested because you said when you you originally were going to be a teacher Mm-hmm. Um, like, were there? Did you have like the tattoos when you started there? Because that's is that mm-hmm. was that a, was that not an issue? Uh, I mean, I guess not because they gave <laughs> me a job. <laughs> um, there were a few when I'd gone for interviews when I was looking to do it. Yes. Um, where I could tell by their reaction as soon as I walked in the room that yeah. it didn't matter how well I interviewed, I was not getting this job. Yes. Um. I once I'd got my job at the school, I didn't ever feel like I was like an outsider. You got a few weird looks from parents, but I get weird looks from people all the time. Yeah, yeah. I guess I kind of bring that upon myself, looking how I look. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say I get that for being like ginger and having like you know elaborate hair and stuff like that. So I know what that, I know what that feels like. Um, and I've, and as yeah, I don't have as many tattoos as Alex because obviously this is a, an audio podcast, so I should describe like you know Alex has a lot of like you know I can see neck tattoos and he's got um I've, um I saw the interview you did with Game where I saw a bunch of a bunch of more more stuff than just now a, but just a few yeah just a few yeah <laughs> and I just I was intrigued because obviously the the convention in sort of teaching is that if you have like a bunch of tattoos they're, they're a little yeah bit yeah weary it's a weird one right no yeah. I it's, it's it's one thing that always sat weird with me when I was actually contemplating becoming it going to uni and being a teacher 
was like, mm. okay, I found work easy enough as a TA because yeah. having young male people in schools isn't common. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, it was kind of one of those things of like, how easy do I get a job as a teacher? Like, if I, you know, spend the time and money and get in the debt that it's going to take to go to uni and learn to be a teacher, <laughs> what's going to, you know, what's going to come from that? And then, you know, I get asked if I want to be a game designer within two weeks of trying to work out if I want to be a teacher or not. Sometimes life just works out, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we're both, the, the similarities me and you both have is that we both at some point clearly wanted to be a teacher and have went completely different career paths. Because when I was, I, I was, but I, I always felt I was like half-heartedly going, well, I guess I can be a teacher. I never really, I think, had full. Mine was exactly the same. Yeah. I never really fully present because I have issues with, I'm not speaking for, for you, but um, from my point of view, and I've, I've talked about this a little bit before, is that um, I never really fully agreed with the way that we teach children, like in terms of the syllabus and stuff like that. And I had issues with that when I was at school um, because I don't necessarily think it teaches the right things. Um, so if I don't sort of, I, I kind of reached the conclusion, if I have that principle of not agreeing with the system, it seems silly to me to like... Approve Maybe it. part of it. Yeah, approve it by being part of it. So, um, yep. and I just didn't think, like, I, I think as well, if you're a teacher, you have to, like, kind of go all in and you kind of have to want to do it. Um, cause I think if you yep. don't, it's all, uh, children, like, are aware of that. Before we relocated up to Stockport from Hastings, yes. the, my girlfriend was a reception teacher for, like, four or five years. Okay. She'll kill me for not remembering exactly how long. <laughs> um, but she kind of hit the, the point when we were moving up. Yeah. She we just sort of she hadn't been enjoying work all that much for a while. Yeah. She kind of just hit that point of like I don't love this anymore, and this isn't a job you can do when you don't love it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which because you got to give you know ultimately uh, as cliche as it sounds, it's uh, it's kids' futures, right? You, yeah, you yeah. can't you can't be blasé about that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah, so, yeah, so yeah, if your heart's not in it, it's yeah, you're right. I think it's like it's something that you just kind of got to go. No, I'm, it's not for me. And I like sort of reached that point, like, cause I wanted to just ask, cause I never got a chance to ask you earlier is like, so what was your like sort of route in terms of, did you go to uni and like do a teaching degree? Like, what did you do? So, <laughs> right. So <laughs> I left school when I was 16, I went to college okay, and became a qualified carpenter <laughs> while do. I was doing college. I worked part time in a shop. Mm-hmm. Then, then, then you became Han Solo in Star Wars. Then, <laughs> at some point in the middle of there, I was a pot washer and ended up being a sous chef and then a chef for a little while. All oh, right, okay. I I was my mum's carer. My mum's um, disabled. I was her carer for a few years. All right. Yeah. Then I went back to working in a shop. Mm-hmm. Then I went to Hastings. Then I became a. I did an online TA course. Uh huh. And then went into the TA thing, and then I was contemplating whether I wanted to be a teacher or not. And, and then it now I yeah. design board games. <laughs> so there you yeah. go. That's uh, quite a linear. That's how you do it. If you want to know how you do it, <laughs> just follow that perfectly, and you'll be a game designer at the end of it. Well, it's like yeah, um, yeah. It's like when I like you know I do like a podcast and a radio show and and, and other media stuff, and it's just like yeah. Before that, I was like a youth worker, and then I did like English and history, which has virtually nothing to do with what I do now. 
<laughs> in terms of like I I just picked they were like why his why history I mean English makes sort of sense because I could pick my modules but like why history and my response was just because I liked it <laughs> which sounds ridiculous when it's like you know university and you're like got to work really hard but I'm like oh, I like it so I'm going to keep doing it so but yeah it was Fair. sort of interesting um and I mean like. Because I, uh, other thing I wanted to ask is like when you say the word design, when someone says designer, is it just purely when you worked on Dark Souls? Did you just do like as you said, like the game theory, mechanical stuff, or did you actually draw anything, or are you, are you a drawing Ooh, person? No, I was. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm allowed to swear, right? Yes, of course. Yeah. So we've got um, our <laughs> actual graphic designer who works for us called Tom. Okay. Okay. And Tom is amazing at his job. Yep. I am shit, Tom, <laughs> because I have a very, very basic understanding of how Photoshop works. Yes. So I've done a lot of, like, the basic stuff where we've sat on Skype, talked through how we want something to look, and I've done the rough, hashed-out version to then send to Tom. Yes. But in terms of being actually having any artistical talent in any sh- way, shape, or form, yeah. I would I would go probably, you know, hover around 0%-ish. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to go like between 5 and 10% you just no, go no, around, no, around just, zero just, just right around zero <laughs> and that's even that is probably highballing yeah well actually yeah just to just to, to make you like when you said shit I was just like um, I used to do a joke because I can't draw at all which is why anytime anyone you know uh, comes on the sh- comes on the podcast or, or just people I know who draw like really amazing stuff I am um, just like, you know, admire it because I can't draw anything. And I used to do this joke where I used to say, you know, I can't even, I can't draw shit. And I'm like, well, I probably could draw shit. That's probably the only thing that looks realistic. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> the only thing that I could nail, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, and I always used to say, like, um, it, you don't even make me draw stick men because that would be questionable what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. So is that um, penis? <laughs> is it a tree? What is, what is that? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, all I do is draw penis looking things. Why has that twig got a face? Yeah. Yeah. Doing. <laughs> exactly yeah so yeah i i really appreciate when people you know when you see in all seriousness when you see like like i remember like when we had paul gerard on who like does a lot of hollywood concept stuff so he did like um clash of the titans and stuff like that and uh you know and he and he did uh, a lot of the last teenage mutant ninja turtles like shredder was his his uh drawing and he actually showed me when i met him the first time at a convention he showed me like he's like you can't you know, I, it was like you can't show anybody this. I'm like, well, you're not giving me a copy, so it's a little bit silly to say. <laughs> and he just showed me on his iPad like his drawn ideas for for Shredder, which being a, an old school, like I used to watch the cartoon as a kid, so I was just like totally found that awesome. And like, so when you see stuff like that to that level, which is being put in like mainstream films, you're just like, yep. wow, that's pretty pretty awesome. And even even board games, like you, I see board game designs which have went. You know, you look at like um, I have some friends who have like 80, 80s games like the original the original versions of like classic stuff and they're just awful <laughs> like as a as a as a design that looks terrible oh, like they really liked purple in the 80s have you noticed that <laughs> really purple purple the color purple no no it's just it. really like cool. everything's purple orientated every sort of 80s games i found purple is that not just because everything was black and the colors all bled out so it's <laughs> yeah maybe purple. oh i thought you meant like 
like it was a black like era, and so they've made. No, 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 no. I meant like it's physically black, but it's sun bleached to purple. I took that metaphorically. Like I thought you meant like the eighties was so dull and boring that they made like loads of pretty games and just to make people feel better. Anyway, yeah, I see. I don't want to keep you much longer. So like, yeah, because we've done about an hour, give or take an hour and a half, maybe. So okay, cool. So I guess the last thing to say, Alex, before like you go, is to say. Obviously, you know, I, I, preaching to the converted, as I say, I'm going to talk to my friends about Friday about um, pre-ordering this because I noticed on the Kickstarter, like, um, people get this in April 2017 if they back it. Is that right? Yep. So, like, so where do people go to purchase the game? Is it just right. through Kickstarter and through Steamforge websites? So, as it goes now, yep, I believe, I believe this is correct information. We had obviously the Kickstarter ended a few months ago. Correct. Yeah. We had the late pledge available. Yep. I believe the late pledge is now down. Okay. I believe. Um, so the when it will now be available would be when it comes out. We're we're launching retail the same time as we are shipping. So it will be April when it comes out of retail, and that is when it will be available. So cool. keep your eyes out on our website for. All information about that, so I can't even be like a shill about this now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Typical course. designer knows nothing about the business side. I'm no, no, of course. It. Yeah. But it's interesting to know. I mean, it's always interesting to know. But like, obviously, for more information, like I said earlier, you can go on the Kickstarter, and it has a bunch of uh, obviously about the game. In, in obviously, we've talked about it to death, so I doubt you're going to read it for other than the stuff we may have missed off. Um, and obviously it tells you about prices and various other things and, and we touched a little bit on like the expansion sets not all of them but you can look at them on there as well as on Steamforge website which I'll make sure I put a link to on iTunes and stuff like that um, that's cool that's, thanks so much for coming on I was really I mean this was not not difficult for me <laughs> preaching for the converted and I enjoy talking so it's a great combination so um, just thank huge you thank you for me. coming on it's been a pleasure talking to you and thank you for having me. No problem. I'll wrap this up and then I'll say bye uh, unofficially. So huge thank you uh, to Alex uh, for being on. Like I just mentioned, please go to Steamforge Games uh, to check out. Obviously, not just Dark Souls. I know we we, we talked to Alex about um, Dark Souls, the board game, because that's what he worked on. But obviously, I should reiterate that Steamforge Games have other games uh, available as well, which I encourage you to look at as well. And uh, buy if you heart desires. So thanks so much to Alex. Obviously, if you listen to this on iTunes, please do consider subscribing and obviously tell all your friends, uh, etc. Obviously, word of mouth is the best way. And I'll end the podcast like I always end the way of the great B movie, Robot Jocks, Crash and Burn. And we'll see you very soon for another edition of the Geek Pockets Podcast. Thanks, guys. Bye.